literally sat down across from me and started taking notes about my life. And I was like, oh, buddy, you're a weirdo. Uh, but that went well. That went super well. So thank you, Ian, for that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I've actually been at Eagle for a little over a year. I started in March of 2016. But the funny thing is, is that I grew up in this county. I grew up in Boone County. I graduated from Weibo in 2002, and then I left. And in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would be back here. Because wildest dreams, if we're being honest, do not tend to involve Boone County. So, but it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine. Um, I went, I, my first year of college I spent in Virginia. I went to Bible college and the denomination I grew up in had two campuses, one in Virginia, one in California. So my first year I was in Virginia and then after that I moved to California and finished college in California. And um, my freshman year, one of my professors, because it was a Bible college, so it was a very spiritual setting, and people wanted to be sensitive to what the Lord was saying and wanted to be sensitive to what the Lord was doing. And I remember a professor of mine came to me after chapel one day and he said, Julia, I was, I was praying for you and this vision came to me and I feel like the Lord wants me to share it with you. And I was like, great, good. I always wanna hear from the Lord. Um, and he said, in this vision, you're walking through the desert and in front of you is this big, bright building. And you're walking toward that, and that building represents this pure and fulfilling ministry that you're moving toward. And he said, the road isn't long, and there aren't really any obstacles, but you have to keep going. You have to keep going, because the Lord is going to bring you into something that is pure and fulfilling. And as a freshman in college, and as somebody who had experienced basically everything falling into place like it was supposed to, um, my mother would call it the confidence of an untried life. Looking back, I would call it arrogance. But I just remember thinking, duh, why do you think I'm here? I'm learning about ministry so I can go into ministry and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but that has always stuck with me. All through college, I was always thinking like, okay, am I moving toward this? Am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And um, when I fin as my senior year, as my senior year was coming to a close, I had accepted a position at a church in Claremont, California. I was gonna stay in California, be a Californian, and it was gonna be great, super far away from Boone County. Not that there's anything wrong with Boone County, but I was going to stay. And then a couple of weeks after I had, had accepted this position, I just felt this sort of um, unsettling feeling. And I just knew that I was not supposed to stay in that position. And so I talked to the pastors and I was like, look, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I really feel like the Lord is leading me somewhere else. And they were super understanding um, and they just sort of like sent me out gracefully and it was really, it was really nice. But I came back to Indiana because I didn't know what else to do. So the Lord had said very clearly, this is not what you're supposed to do, but he didn't tell me anything else. So I came back to Boone County. My parents were still living here at the time, and I just sort of needed to regroup. And I ended up taking a position at a church in Kokomo. It was the church that I had grown up in, and I was there for two years. 
And I would not say that it was a failure, but it was not a great time. And it was a time that made me think, uh, maybe I am not supposed to be in ministry at all because this is terrible. I've totally missed the mark somewhere and this is not what my life is supposed to be like. And so just in pursuing the Lord and like what was supposed to be next, I ended up going back to school. I got my master's degree in Old Testament. I moved to Massachusetts. I lived in the North Shore area of Boston. So again, very far away from home because I never thought I would stay here. And I got my master's in Old Testament. And I just thought, okay, maybe ministry is not going to look the way I always thought it would look. It would be different in the capacity of like teaching and learning more about the word and being effective in that way. And then I thought, okay, maybe I'll go on and do a PhD in Mesopotamian archeology, span which sounds super interesting. But I will tell you, Indiana Jones lied to us. <laughs> um, he lied. <laughs> It is boring. Archaeology is boring. And I just remember thinking, I have wasted money, resources, and time pursuing a degree to go on to another degree that I absolutely do not want. And I just remember thinking, my life is not coming together like I thought it, like I thought it would, like I, it's supposed to. And I always had that word in the back of my mind. I am supposed to be moving to something that the Lord has spoken into my life and I'm not going anywhere. So my very last semester of school, a bunch of things fell, fell through, job opportunities, just everything that could go wrong went wrong. And so at the age of 27, at the very end, at the beginning of 2011, I moved back home and I moved in with my parents, which was also not in the cards in my wildest dreams. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And, and it just took so long to find something. And I just remember thinking my life is stupid and pointless because I have come this far and I am doing nothing. And the Lord has spoken over me something and it is not happening. It's not happening. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Because we all wait for something, all of us. It is in the nature of the people of God to wait. We all wait for something. I mean, all of us, aren't we waiting for Jesus to come back? But I'm talking about personally. We all wait for something. And it's deep, it's that thing that runs deep inside of us that we carry around in our bones that we may not even tell people about, the things that we struggle with the most, the things that we know the Lord has looked at in our lives and said, I'm gonna do something here. I'm gonna do something here. And we carry that and we wait for it. And it could be anything. It could be anything. It could be children. Are you waiting for children? It could be marriage. Are you waiting for marriage? Are you waiting for restoration in relationships? Are you waiting for children who have strayed away from the Lord to come back? What are you waiting for? That's what we're talking about today. That's what we're talking about. So take that out. Take that out of your heart, of your mind, and hold that in front of you. Because I want you to call, call it to remembrance. What is the Lord telling you in your life? 
that he is going to do that you have been waiting on. That's where we're going today. That's where we're going. So we're actually going to talk through the life of Abraham because I think he is a very good example of what it means to wait. So we're gonna be in Genesis 12. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open there. If not, the text is on the screen and you can follow along. But we're gonna start in Genesis 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's what we're working with. We are literally jumping in to the middle of this guy's life, of Abram's life. He is 75 years old at this time. So some of us would call that towards the end, the twilight years of his life. But we're jumping into this story and the Lord has looked at him and said, do this, go to this new land because I'm gonna do something in you. I'm gonna make you a great nation and I'm gonna bless people through you and you're gonna be a blessing. There is no precursor to this. We don't know what Abraham knew about the Lord prior to. We don't know. And Abram, who was 75 years old, is asked to leave his father's house. Now in in these ancient times, your father's house was everything. That was your identity. That was your inheritance. That's where you found your value and your worth. You were tied to that house. And the Lord is saying, I want you to leave it. He's telling Abram, leave it, because I'm gonna take you somewhere new. And then if we jump down to verse four, it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram, without question, goes. He leaves everything. The Lord says, I'm gonna do something in you. And Abram, Though he was 75 years old and well-established in his father's household, picks up everything, picks up his family, picks up his possessions, and leaves. He goes. He does it. The Lord says go, and he goes. And not only that, but when he walks into the land, and the Lord says, I'm going to give you this land as an inheritance. Your children are going to have this land. Abram marks the occasion when he hears from the Lord. He builds that altar. So that years from then, when people saw that altar, they would know what was attached to it. The Lord called Abram here. This is in remembrance of that. So he does this. But Genesis 12 only gives us a general promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. The nations are going to be blessed through you. It doesn't really give specifics. It is a bare bones breakdown of what the Lord is going to do. There is no timeline. There is no game plan. He just says, go. 
And Abram does. Oh, that's, sorry. (laughs) Do you hear that all the time? Anyway. (laughs) But the promise of God is not fulfilled right away. It doesn't happen. Abram moves in, in chapter 12, he moves to this new land. He takes his family. He's ready to go. He's ready to receive what the Lord has. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Life does not stop because we're waiting on the promises of God. We don't just like curl up and I'll sit here until you're ready and you bless me like you said. It doesn't happen. It's not practical. We keep living while we're waiting. And Abram does the same thing. And we're not going to go through this, but if you go through later and read through Genesis, you see that life for Abram keeps happening. So chapter 12 shows us glimpses of his life. Chapter 13 and 14 show us glimpses of his life. But as the years go by and he's living in this new land, nothing happens. So in Genesis 15, we're going to jump to 15, we see Abram re-engage with the Lord. So 15 verses 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have not given me, you have not given me an offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, This this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. So he reengages with the Lord here. And the Lord says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And Abram is like, yeah, that's nice. You keep saying that, but nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. And as of right now, some kid who is technically related to me, but not part of my household is going to stand to inherit everything that I have. Everything that I have is going to go to this kid over here. And the Lord says, no, it's going to be a kid from you. It is going to be your son. So we get more specific information here. But years have gone by. Years have gone by. And he's still waiting and he's wondering what the Lord is doing. And the Lord says, I'm going to do this and it's going to come from you and you've got to hold on. And it says, Abram believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. So we have specifics, but one thing I want to really highlight is later on in the verse, in the chapter, beginning with seven, the Lord says, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring to me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain 
that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They'll be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your offspring, I give this land. Now what is happening here is a little weird and mystical, but I wanna break it down because it's very significant. So the Lord reminds Abram, I'm going to do this in your life. This is going to come from you. It's going to happen. And Abram believes him, but he says, how do I know that this is going to happen? And the Lord says, okay, bring me these animals. Now, ritual sacrifice was very common during this time. So we have to look at it, not through the lens of the 21st century, but through the lens of thousands of years ago. So by nature, when people made a covenant with one another, and we don't really have covenants today, it's really, it's more than a contract. It's a binding agreement that two parties would enter into, and it was serious, and you did not break it. So when Abram cuts the sacrifices in half, he basically lays them open, so there's a path between the two. And then he has this vision, darkness descends on him, and he has this vision of the Lord who appears in the form of a smoking pot and a torch. And the Lord passes through the middle of the sacrifices. Now in covenant making during this time, the lesser of the two parties would generally be the one that passes through the sacrifice. And it was basically a way of saying, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, if I do not do what I say I'm going to do, then let this, what has happened to these animals, happen to me. Because it's a serious and binding agreement. And so what is happening is the Lord is saying, as he is passing through the sacrifices, if I do not do what I say I'm going to do, then let this happen to me. Let this happen to me. But that is not, it is not in the nature of the Lord to not do what he says. So it's just sort of reiterating the fact that the Lord is going to do what he says. And that's what he tells Abram. And Abram can trust that. So more than anything, the big idea, one big idea number one that I want you to walk away with today is that the Lord is not interested in your timeline. He is interested in your faith. In other words, the Lord is not interested in how you think your life should unfold. He is interested in whether or not you are going to trust him to do what he says he's going to do. Are you going to trust him to do it? And even in the midst of questioning, Abram questions, and he says, how do I even know this is going to happen? And the Lord says, I am the one that's going to make it happen. Abram trusts that. Even though it hasn't come to fruition, even though he doesn't have a son yet, he trusts that the Lord is going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's what we see here. The Lord is sort of doubling down on his own character. This is going to happen because I'm going to do it. Trusting is a difficult concept to sort of grasp. And it's difficult to hold on to because we don't know what we should be doing in the process. We always feel like we should be doing something while we wait. 
And it's hard to know. Like, should I, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? It's hard, and it gets a little murky. Have you ever heard the statement, God helps those who help themselves? That's a, that's a dumb statement, and I have always hated it. We cannot help ourselves. That is the problem. That's the problem. God helps us because we can't help ourselves, but we feel like we should. We feel like we should be doing something because maybe that will kickstart God into action. And it doesn't generally work. But life keeps going and we don't just curl up and stop living because we're waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled. That's not how we live. And this is where it gets a little murky. And we have a good example of that in Abram's life. So in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, now, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt at her mistress. So 10 years have gone by, and nothing has happened. 10 years since the initial call in chapter 12. He's moved into this new land. Life has happened. They've had, he and the Lord have sort of re-engaged in that, in that promise, and still nothing has happened. Nothing is happening. So Sarah has the idea of like, okay, maybe we can have children another way. You can have a child with my servant, which was a very normal practice at the time. It's easy to look at this and be like, uh, that's wrong. But it was a normal practice because that servant would have been part of his household. So having a, ser- having a child with a servant, that child would have been his son. He would have been part of that house- household and would have stood to inherit everything. But because they were not told to do this, they just sort of did it on their own, it causes drama in the household. Sometimes when we try to help ourselves, it just makes it worse. So Hagar, who was able to conceive a child, looks at Sarah now with contempt. I can have a child, you can't have a child. So who's who in the house? And it causes problems. But it's understandable because nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. And you just get to the point where it's like, maybe I should do something. Maybe I should do something. And they do. But it didn't come from the Lord. He did not tell them to do that. They just came up with the idea and it caused problems. When the Lord said in chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. There are things that only he can do. There are things that only he can do. But even when we botch it, even when we try to help out, even when we try to do things to help ourselves, it doesn't mean it's over. He doesn't, the Lord doesn't look at that situation and think, well, you took matters into your own hand, I'm out. That's not how it works. He looks at the situation and says, I didn't tell you to do that, and there are problems because of it, but still, I'm still going to do something. It's still going to work out. You still need to trust me. 
we have this family waiting for something, something big. And they don't even really know what that looks like. But nothing is happening. But then we jump forward to 17. And in verse one, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, so 24 years have gone by. 24 years since that initial promise. He was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. It's a bigger picture that the Lord is playing out. So Abram, who has a son through a servant, he has the son. The Lord is saying, I'm going to make you a nation. And Abram's like, yeah, great, I have a kid. But there's a bigger picture here. Let's jump down to... 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So we're getting specifics here. The Lord is saying, you have a kid, but I'm going to give you another one, and it's going to come from your wife. There's a bigger picture. And he changes their name. He changes their name. So Abram becomes Abraham. And Sarai becomes Sarah. Because big idea number two is that change happens in the waiting. 24 years have gone by. Change happens here. And renaming someone sort of shows a mastery over them. So he is claiming them as servants. He's claiming them as his own because he's renaming them. And he's saying, you're not Abram, you're Abraham, she's not Sarah, Sarai, she's Sarah, and you're both mine. And I'm going to do something through you. So let's keep going. Verse 18, Abraham, after he hears all of this stuff, says to God, oh, that Ishmael, who is the other son, who is the son he already has, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, and God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So Abraham, who was hearing all of these things, is like, great, cool, I already have a son, can't you do it through him? And God is like, no, man, because I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to do something in your wife, and it's going to be bigger than that. I'm going to establish a nation through you. She's going to conceive, and she's going to have a son by this time next year. So we get, like, really specific. After all of this time waiting, it's like, cool, I will have a kid now. Anyway, 
Change happens in the waiting, but waiting is a process. It's a process. Waiting brings necessary change to our lives. If God had called Abram into this new land and said, I'm gonna make you a nation, I'm gonna bless you, and did it right away, what is Abram going to learn about God? Waiting brings surprising change to our lives. Waiting brings us nearer to God. We get to know God while we wait. There's a really great quote from Oswald Chambers that's gonna be up there, and it says, God is never in a hurry. He wants us to know him, not just rely on him for blessing. Can you imagine being loved just because of what you could do for somebody? That's not how the Lord works. But a lot of times, that's how we want the Lord to work. That's what we want the Lord to do. I need this from you, I need this from you, I need this from you, you're not doing this, why are you failing me, I hate you, this is awful. That is how a lot of people look at God. But we get to know him in the waiting. We get to know him. And we have examples all throughout this text that show us how we can get to know God. If you do not see yourself as a part of this story, you're selling yourself short because you are. This is the story. These are the stories of the people of God. And you are part of those people. We get to know him in the waiting and we get to know him by experiencing him through the lives and stories of other people who have gone before us. And we can look at that and we can see that if God is faithful to them, that he's gonna be faithful to me. The God of Abraham is as active in your life as he was in Abram's life. He's the same. God wants us to know him and he reveals himself to us in the waiting. And sometimes we can look back and think how we've gotten to know him and it happens before we even realize it. He's never in a hurry and he wants us to know him. So when I moved back home in 2011, at the age of 27, and I thought my life was in shambles, and I just sort of started grabbing for anything, just grabbing for something that would make me feel useless and have a purpose. And I ended up in the nonprofit field and I thought, okay, this is like, Nonprofit, you're making a difference, you're, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you're doing something that is bringing change to the world. It's okay, maybe this is what your ministry is going to look like. And it, um, there is a, f a type of fulfillment in that. But as I look back on those years, the years that I spent just waiting to move into something that I'd been waiting for for a long time, as I look back on that, I can identify points where I knew that God was faithful, where healing had to happen. I didn't even like going to church. How could I be in ministry if I didn't like going to church? So that kind of healing had to happen, where I could ease myself back into that culture and love it and appreciate it and get that desire to serve. I had no community and no friends and I had to build that all from scratch and he was faithful in lining me up with people 
who could encourage and support me and get me to where I needed to go. Things that I needed that I did not even recognize at the time, he, got, he gave to keep me going, to keep going. So I would encourage you, what is he showing you while you're waiting? What is he showing you? What kind of change is he bringing? What is he doing to draw you nearer to himself and to show you who he is? Don't just rely on him for blessing. Go to him because you want to know him and he wants to be known by you. That is the beauty of this text. That is the beauty of who the Lord is, is that he, who is creator and sustainer of everything, wants to know you and wants to be known by you. And that is beautiful. And that is life-changing. And if that is all he ever does, that's enough. But it's not. It's not all. It's not about the end blessing. Though it is, I mean a little, a little bit, because he does bless us. It's about knowing who God is and what he reveals about himself. And in the waiting, we learn to recognize the Lord. So in Genesis 18, we sort of come to the end of this particular story in Abraham's life. So in 18 verse one, it says, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. Abraham has gotten to the point where he recognizes the Lord. And when he sees him, he responds. Now, if this had just happened in chapter 12, who's to say that Abram would have known what to do? Who's to say? But he sees the Lord here, and he responds. And he says, don't leave, stay here. And the Lord's like, okay. Because the Lord has things that he's going to do. So jump down to verse nine. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. We get so used to the waiting that the reality of it working out in our lives doesn't seem likely. But here's big idea number three. The Lord does what he says he's going to do. He does what he says he's going to do. Think about the things that we're waiting on. I mean, I mentioned earlier, we're all waiting for Jesus to come back. But how often do we think of that as just sort of this legend? Like, do you really, deep down in your bones, believe that Jesus is going to come back? 
Or is it just something like, oh, we say that, it's nice, we're gonna die. We gotta believe it. We have to believe it because he said he was going to do it and he'll do it because the Lord does what he says he's going to do. And that's what he's saying here. Sarah hears him say this and she laughs and she's like, from whose body? Because I'm old and my husband is old. And it just sort of um, later on in the text, I mean, the Lord says, did I just hear Sarah laugh? And Sarah's like, no, I didn't laugh. It just reminds me, like, growing up, did you ever, were your parents angry about something and you laughed, like, inappropriately, and then they caught you laughing, and you're like, I'm going to (laughs) die. That's sort of what this reminds me of, because Sarah laughs, the Lord hears it, and he's like, did she laugh? And she's like, no, no, I didn't laugh, I didn't. Oh, man, it was just like a terrible fear that came over me as a child, if my parents saw that. (laughs) Oh, golly. What we need to remember here, and he says it very clearly, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. The Lord is not bound by time. The Lord is not bound by biology. The Lord is not bound by resources or circumstances or any other obstacle that we could think of. He is not bound by these things. He sustains these things. They exist in him. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So a lady who is 90 years old and her husband, who is 99 years old, are about to have a baby. Now, I can't imagine at that age it would be fun. But I could also be wrong because they were waiting a long time for this to happen. They were waiting a long time. So in Genesis 21, 1 through 7, it says, The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The Lord had said to them that he was going to do something. And he did it. There's an excellent quote Uh, by N.T. Wright that sort of sums up this story. And it says, the faith of Abraham and Sarah is faith that the creator God is also the covenant God. That the particular promises made to this one family at a time when they seemed flatly impossible were backed up by the power that made the world. It isn't just that Abraham and Sarah thought they heard a strange being speaking to them and decided to believe it, but rather that the God they came to know was the creator God, the absolutely trustworthy one, the one who could give them life where there was none. That is who God is. That is what we see from this story. And the thing is, and this is the fourth big idea, the outcome 
is generally going to be bigger than we could ever expect. It's going to be bigger. Of course, Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then from Jacob came the nation of Israel. His descendants do become a nation, which is an immediate fulfillment. It's immediate, and it's a fulfillment of the promise. But there's something bigger at work here. Abraham had faith, and he believed in the Lord, and that is what it means to be part of the people of God. That is what marks the people of God, is that faith. Abraham had faith and became the father of the faithful. Have you ever heard the song, Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. That one. He says, I'm one of them and so are you. We are part of this story. Abraham is the father of multitudes of faithful people because that is what marks the people of God. It is not about bloodline. It is about faith and whether or not you trust God to do what he says he's going to do. God tells him, go outside and count the stars. Go outside, look at the sand on the shore. Your descendants are gonna outnumber them. You can't even count them, it's not possible. Countless descendants of faith, millions upon millions of people over several thousand years, it's been growing. And I am one of them and so are you. This promise that was given to this man thousands of years ago is still being carried out today. It's still happening today because the picture, the plan, what God was doing was bigger than just giving this one guy a son. What he is doing in chapter 12 is looking at Abraham and saying, I am going to do something in your life. I'm going to start working through human history and I'm going to do it through you. And he's still doing it because the outcome is bigger than we can we can ever imagine. There's immediate application, of course, but there's a bigger picture. The blessing is more than just the individual. God is in the business of blessing the multitudes. So when he tells Abraham, I'm gonna do this in your life and you're gonna be a blessing and the nations are going to be blessed by you, we see that working out today. We are blessed by the faith of Abraham because it started with him. It started there, and we can see from his life what it is to trust the Lord as an example. The outcome, what we're waiting for, that thing that you carry around with you is probably a part of a larger story. And it's more than we can expect or understand. But can we trust that the Lord is at work and can we expect him to do what he says he's going to do? And we can because we see it, we see it here. We see it in countless examples of the Lord who is continually faithful, of God who is driven by his love for us, for you as an individual. So what is it that he is saying to you? What is it that he has looked at in your life and said, I'm going to do something here?
hold on. What is that thing? Take that out. Lay it before him. We're going to have, um, it's a new song that more than anything, listen to the words. Do business with God. If you have questions, ask them. If you need to ask him what he's doing, he probably won't tell you because he doesn't generally. But he'll show you who he is. He'll show you who he is. So let this song, as they come up to lead and to sing, let this minister to you. Because he's in the waiting. He's faithful and he's in the waiting. He's going to do something. And it's going to be good.